Hey, babe. What's up? What's your favorite memory of Grandpa Bob? It's anytime we're in the car and you like go slightly above the speed limit and he's like, you're going too fast. You're going to hit the guy in front of you. And then you go down like three miles an hour. And he's like, you're going too slow. You need to get over. And then he starts talking about the fucking bypass. They put in a bypass. And then his shortcuts. He always has a shortcut. <laughs> I love Grandpa Bob. He's the best. Who's Grandpa Bob? Hi, we're Leah and Jeremy. We're the accident-prone travelers behind Practical Wanderlust. And we're here to dish out travel tips, travel tricks, useful trivia, useless trivia, mildly entertaining anecdotes, and everything else you need to avoid making all of our terrible, 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 terrible mistakes. And we make a lot of mistakes. So this is the last of our year-long honeymoon episodes. We did it, guys. And you helped us. What? How? By listening. <laughs> Sometimes all you got to do is listen. And that's what I hope you learned through our podcast. Okay. This is... I just turned the podcast off. That's how boring that was. The fact that we did it in three episodes, is I'm actually proud of us. We'll see. This may turn into a fourth. Maybe. I'm just kidding. I doubt it. I'm going to just stop it. I'm going to cut us off at a certain point. <laughs> we can only talk about this one thing that happened to us for so many years before people get tired of hearing about it. Look, the honeymoon was a year, so I feel like we should at least be able to talk about it for a year. It's been three years. That was in 2016. God, we are so much older now. We are very old now. Okay, let's go back. Where were we? So we were in New Jersey in your sister's house. Hey, we were just there last week. That's crazy. Hey, it was gay. Thanksgiving then too. Whoa. Literally three years to the day. Yeah. So we decided that we were going to do something totally different. We had a an airplane booked back to Chile and then we were like, nah, what if we just do something totally different? And then we, you found that cheap flight. I found a super cheap flight on Norwegian to Copenhagen. Norwegian is the best, by the way. One of the most environmentally friendly airlines. Did you know? Thanks, Norwegian. <laughs> I was actually, this is not sponsored by Norwegian, but I was sponsored by them in the past. And I feel like the FTC would want me to disclose that. So there it is. Oh, were you in Norway? You went to Norway? That was a different Were you in Norway without episode. me? I'm sorry. It was without awesome. me? I met like 15 reindeer. You said different episode. Okay. Uh, Copenhagen. Is that right? Copenhagen. It's Copenhagen. I don't think it is. It is. Ask literally anybody. I will. I will do that. Ask our one-year-old nephew and he'll be like, hag. <laughs> so this was pre-nephew. So you booked us this cheap ticket. We knew nothing about Copenhagen. But what I did know was that we had dreams of sugar plum fairies, Christmas markets, hot mold wine, snow-covered medieval buildings. That sounds like Europe. Yeah. I'd also heard of a thing called a Christmas market, but I'd never experienced it. And it sounded like a bunch of food and magical Christmas time. And I wanted that. Was that what it was? That was exactly what it was. That's exactly yeah. what we got in Copenhagen. It was magical AF. After six months in mostly hot weather doing like physical activities that we failed for the most part, this was like a perfect juxtaposition. It was like warm and cozy and a lot of food and we were going to be like our best fat selves. Yeah, because like I might not be good at like hiking on, you know, mountains, but what I am really good at is eating a lot of food. That is something that I truly excel at. I have trained my entire life for that, in fact. So besides the Christmas markets, what were your highlights in Copenhagen? We took an awesome day trip to see two fairy tale castles right outside of Copenhagen. Yes, Fredericksborg and Kronborg. Kronborg? Kronborg? Kronborg. 
We looked this up. Yeah. We are trying to be better people at pronunciation. Anyway, Kronborg was the setting of Hamlet. Yeah. And it like felt like Hamlet. And there was a Christmas market, which was awesome. Yeah, that was also unexpected. It was like a fancy, it was a fancy Christmas market. It was. I also really enjoyed Christiania. It was like this cool, like, anarchist commune in the middle of the city. Yeah, it's like this sovereign town in the middle of Copenhagen where, like, anarchy rules. But it's like... But, like, cool anarchy. But, like, Berkeley anarchy. Yes, very Berkeley. Yeah, it's like if Berkeley was... It was Berkeley. That's actually all it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, I also really enjoyed the food. Yes, my favorite thing, which I really did not expect that I would like, is smarbrot. It's sort of like fancy open-faced toast, which like coming from the Bay Area where we love avocado toast, smarbrot is so much better. The translation literally means bread and butter, but they put bread and butter and like smoked fish. It's delicious. It's so good. And they had great coffee in Copenhagen too. The food and the coffee were like some of my absolute favorite things in Copenhagen. Yeah, I loved it. I would go back in a heartbeat. It was charming. And then we went to Germany. We had two stops in Germany, Hamburg and Bremen. They're kind of right next to each other. Um, Hamburg really felt like a big city, but um, it ended up being actually one of our favorite hostels that we stayed in. It was this cozy little hostel called Pajama Park, which was uh, lovely. And I think we wore our pajamas the whole time. Yeah, we had like little pods. It was like one of those hostels. You know, we're, we've said this before. We're not totally city people, but Hamburg was really cool. And the Christmas market was where we discovered one of my favorite drinks of all time. What's that? Do you want to try to pronounce it? Uh, I know that you have the pronunciation notes right here in front of me, but I'm still going to be awful about it. And I'm just going to say how I normally say it, which is Fergensenbohl. And I know that's not right. <laughs> it's Feuerzengenbola. I was never going to get there. Never in my entire life. Feuerzengenbola is Gluvine's super alcoholic cousin. It's actually kind of depressing. He's not invited to the holidays anymore. But what it is is a sugar loaf that is suspended above a giant vat of Gluvine and it's soaked in rum and then lit on fire cue metal music. Amazing. Can we actually get through an episode without metal music? I don't think it's possible. Cue metal music. You didn't actually explain what Gluvine was. It's just mold wine, yeah, but it's, it's like a cool wine. German word for mold wine. And then we went to Bremen, which is literally a fairy tale town. Like I know like the word fairy tale gets tossed around about Europe a lot, but Bremen is actually famous because it's in a fairy tale. Yeah, you might recognize that word Bremen from the Bremen town musicians. It's an old uh, Brothers Grimm's tale where it's like an elephant on top of a snake, on top of a donkey, on top of a cat, on top of a dog, on top of a human, on top of a cricket, on Did top you, of like, a rat. Did you like memorize this entire... <laughs> that, okay, there's three of them, first <laughs> of all. We hadn't actually like read the fairy tale though before we went to Bremen, so we really had no idea why there is so many animals stacked on top of one another like throughout town because you'll just see like oh here's another statue of like animals playing instruments stacked on top of one another that's interesting if i remember the fairy tale correctly they never actually make it to bremen right i do not remember and i am not a good source of information about fairy tales there was like one really cool discovery that we made in that there are not one but those christmas markets yeah, there's two Christmas markets. There's like the classic German Christmas market in the Old Town Market Plaza. And then there's a medieval Christmas market, which is like themed. And it's sort of super piratey. Cute. Little piratey, little Renaissance fairy. It was awesome. We discovered two of our favorite German treats in Bremen as well. There's Grünkohl, which is green kale. And, and delicious German sausages. Yeah. And then there's 
Eierpunch. Eierpunch is so good. It's like what eggnog wishes that it were and never quite got there. And you have like a mountain of schlag on top and then you dip cookies into it and it's the best. Schlag, for those of you who don't know, is it's just whipped cream. We just prefer the word schlag. It's way more fun to say schlag than whipped cream. Like you should absolutely start just using that in your regular life now. You're welcome. Just put some schlag in your life, you know? Schlag it up. Yeah. Schlagity schlag schlag. Schlag. It's so fun to say. Okay, moving along. Uh, we also discovered Elf's Fire, which is like Glühwein, but like with fruit in it. And Ribikuchen, um, which is potato pancakes. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you really need to look up the pronunciation. Wow, just because you did that. We also, yeah, exactly. We also stayed at this hostel and there was only one guy in our dorm. Oh, yeah, he was really nice. Yeah, he asked us if we wanted any milk and then he shared a milk with us. <laughs> sounds so skeeved out it was delicious milk that's the weirdest thing okay but it was like very fresh milk it was i mean it was really good what was much more weird than delicious fresh milk was that he like added me on facebook and then would message me every few weeks for several years um and i couldn't tell if he was hitting on me or just like really friendly and it's i like, could all right well if he's still listening he was very nice and it was nice to meet him moving right along we went to amsterdam right after that and we discovered one of the greatest treats on earth, stroopwafel or stroopwafel. It's definitely just stroopwafel. That sounds we're, like I feel like you have to speak another language in order to say it that way. All right, you know what? Just because I know that we're going to add some angelic music right here, I'm going to say it again. Stroopwafel. So it's basically like two wafer cookies with delicious caramel in the middle. And you have to get them warm at like the Albert Kuip market. But it's never delicious. warm them yourself. Well, no, you can. You can put it on top of your tea. There's a school of thought around the best ways to eat stroopwafel. And one of them, one of the accepted ways is definitely to put it on top of your tea. Was that school of thought? Stroopwafel University? <laughs> I would definitely go to that university. Of Amsterdam. I would like to have a degree from that university. The other interesting thing that happened in Amsterdam, other than um, we definitely smoked a bunch of weed and ate a bunch of Indonesian food. We ate so much Indonesian food and smoked so much weed. And we had that bomb-ass apple pie from Winkle oh 43 God. with all the schlag. We had all of the schlag in the Netherlands. Yeah, all of it. Uh, the other weird thing was that a dude tried to climb in bed with me in our hostel. Whoa. Hello. That's exactly how I felt about it. You want to tell this story? I mean, that's basically it. I was just like lying in bed, minding my own beeswax. And then this guy just like drunkenly tried to get into my bed. I don't think that he like, I don't think it was me. I think he just thought that it was his bed. No, it was definitely, he definitely knew that it wasn't his bed. So the way that the beds were arranged is that it's feet to feet on bunk beds. And this guy just sat up like he was fucking Frankenstein and then just slowly crawled across his foot opening to yours and just snuggled up. And it was four in the fucking morning. I was dead asleep from like high apple pie. And you were just like, babe, 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 there's a guy in my bed right now. And That's I like, right. I did I, like, forget that he climbed in feet first. And then I looked down and he got up and he's like, is I not supposed to be here on my bed? And then he just like fucking dipped. And then we dipped because I went down to like the front desk to be like, excuse me, I would like to change rooms. And then they changed they changed rooms, but it was like had cigarette smoke. Like the people in there had just been like smoking weed and cigarettes. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to be Bay Area snobby. The weed in Amsterdam, not as good as the weed in California. Will you all... stop pronouncing it that way? It's Amsterdam. L listen, the point is that they cut their fucking joints with tobacco and nobody wants that shit. That's gross. And I'm from Kentucky and our major cash crop is tobacco. So I can say that. Can you? I can. 
Um, anyway, I mean, props to Klinknord. They were like, what the fuck? I've never had to deal with that problem before in my life. Let's like try to figure it out. Yeah, they, they actually were really helpful. Um, and I, I got a new room and it, it was fine. But one of my worst uh, hostel experiences. Hands down. But after that, we went to Belgium. And like, I know we say this a lot, but Belgium is going to have to be a future episode. No, babe, we've done this one. We did Belgium. Hey, go us. Wow. After Belgium, we flew straight to France. And I know France is it's like... France. France. Um, I know that France is like on the top of, like, if you ask anybody, it's probably on top of their bucket list or at least like near the top. Oh, we Paris. <laughs> Grand Paris. Yeah, but we didn't go to Paris. We opted for the south of France. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to do like a southern France road trip. It sounded really nice. It's supposed to be really pretty. There's like lavender fields and shit. We were going to like take a road trip from Nice all the way up to Bordeaux and then spend my birthday in Bordeaux um, and then go back again. And technically we did, but there were quite a few errors along the way, including driving into a castle. Mm, Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories from the honeymoon, though. Error the first. When we picked up the rental car in Nice, they upgraded us to a fucking like Beamer. It was like a whole like four door BMW from 2016, and it was 2016, and we were like, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, you, you introduced that like complaining about it at the time. We were like, "Hell yeah!" We're like shitty backpackers who just you know got out of sleeping in a hostel with a guy that climbed into bed with us. We'll take the BMW. That sounds amazing. Yeah, but what we didn't realize is that Europe is. Like, like the streets in Europe are just minuscule. It's tiny. It's like a tiny half country the continent. Enti- the entire continent was made before cars were even dreamt up. So, of course, cars are too big. Everything in Europe is tiny. Like, it's not just the streets. The streets are tiny. It's like the clothing. Like, if you ever shopped at Zara, I have never fit into anything from Zara. Even H&M is sus. Hella sus. <laughs> So everything was just like small and we had this giant ass BMW like just rolling around in our fancy ass car looking like not gringos because that was South America. We were looking hella American. We might as well have been so blasting American. some Leonard Skinner with a giant American flag. Guy Fieri's in the passenger seat saying, take me to Flavortown. You like, know what? Don't. Guy is. He's nice. He's from the Bay Area. He's he's like a he's a nice guy. I really wanted to avoid saying the word guy and describing him, but you can't. You can't not. He's he a, he's a wonderful guy. He's a wonderful human male. We like guy. <laughs> so yeah, we were definitely a stereotype, just a deriving stereotype, um, and that's when the hanger sat in. Hangry eyes. So Leah and I never We're about to fight Leah and I never fight And when we do fight it's always because like I gave her two things to hold And so her body shuts down And then I I get really frustrated It's like my off switch Yeah if you ever want Leah to just cease to exist Just give her two items to hold at the same time It makes me suspect that I might actually be a high functioning robot The other thing is that Leah sometimes thinks that I yell at her Only because I slightly project Okay. Wow. You know what? Every time you get hangry, it's because you're mildly inconveniencing somebody and you have an anxiety spiral. 
That's true. Those are the three times we get angry. Well, yeah. The one that really does us in is when we are hungry. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we got hungry after we after we got the car. So we found this Nishwa place like across town, but discovered that across town was actually 45 minutes of bumper to bumper, tiny, minuscule traffic for ants. So 45 minutes later, we were still trying to drive around and find like a fucking parking space and there was nothing. So we were like, all right, we'll just pay for parking with our giant ass BMW. I guess we're rich. Whatever. Yeah, we went into a parking garage only to discover that French parking garages are approximately the size of Barbie's dream house. Mm -hmm. And we're in like a tank. So when we got in there, we realized that everything was just hairpin turns and there was like one inch margins on the side. And after going through the entire garage, we found that there was absolutely no parking spaces. Yeah, there was no point to like winding through this labyrinth maze of parking because there is no room for us anyway. So we said, fuck it. And we tried to leave. And then we hit the the world's smallest pole. It was like... the. you couldn't see it over the dashboard. It was so small. It was like a polette. Le polette? Oui. It was tiny. We didn't even know that we'd hit it until like three hours later when we looked at the car and we were like, oh, fuck. Like an hour into our French road trip and we've already wrecked our BMW. Yeah. So then we said, fuck it. And I was like, let's just get on the road. And I remembered last time that I was in France, I was in Paris and I went to McDonald's and I had a macaron and it was amazing. And I just, I was just like, you know what? Every food in France, everywhere that you go in France has the best food, all of it. There is no such thing as bad French food. So I was like, let's just go anywhere. We cannot have bad food in France. That is not possible. So the first place that we saw was a gas station and we discovered, oh, there's bad food in France. Turns out, yes. I don't know if it's every gas station or just this one gas station, but it was awful. It was the worst French food. It was objectively just bad food. And we got like French shit. We got like a croque madame. It was awful. Yeah, we got like a quiche too, which was do not get scrambled eggs at a gas station. It was just frozen. So we were feeling really shitty. We went to Montpellier for the night um, and also had difficulty parking our giant ass car. There was like a line of people honking at us and cussing at us in French. And we were just feeling really shitty. And then when we left, we like found this like hole in the wall bakery that we had just stumbled upon. We didn't even, we couldn't even see it on Google. I have searched for this bakery for years since we've been there and I can't find it. It it was a fresh made almond croissant, but it wasn't just marzipan in the middle. There was also chocolate chips. It was so good. It tasted like cookie dough. And that restored my hope in French food because we'd had like this shitty ass like gas station food. And then I think we had to cook like ramen noodles or like pasta or something. We definitely did like penne pasta in a jar of tomato sauce. But then we had that almond croissant. And I remember looking around Montpellier and just realizing that every single person I saw had a baguette tucked under their arm. And I was like, we're going to be all right. We're confirming so many French stereotypes. You know, we, yeah. But the baguette thing, that's real. It's true. We were on a road trip in this beautiful country, but we were mostly sticking to the highways and like nursing some food poisoning. It wasn't real food poisoning. It was just shitty gas station food that was not settling well. Les poissons? That's not, that does not mean what you think it means. So Leah had a revelation. Yeah, because we were in this car and we weren't backpackers. We used to be stuck to like wherever the Colectivo would take us or like the bus or whatever. And I was like, no, we're in control of our lives. We have a BMW. We can go wherever the fuck we want. We're American. So I was like, let's just like take an exit and like go in search of adventure. There's something cool in the French highways where every exit has like a picture of one of the tourist attractions uh, like attached to that exit. And it makes it look really awesome. So we saw an exit with a picture of this awesome castle called Chateau de Vison. It looks baller. It looked like a straight up castle from a fairy tale. And we were like, let's go. So we pulled off the highway, took an exit, um, and then we plugged it into our little GPS because we had like a little BMW British lady GPS and she was very helpful. She was very British too. She would be like, make a U-turn, but like 
politely. Yeah, it was very polite. It was like, you're going the wrong way. Consider turning around now. You didn't listen when I said take a left (laughs) and instead you took a right. That was an interesting choice. Please make a U-turn. It was very Mary Berry. It was like, hmm. Soggy bottom. Soggy bottom, but lovely presentation. Good crumb. Not a fan of the flavor. If only you'd just put a little bit more alcohol in. Underdone. Underdone. All right, this is just us doing our life. We're just doing a Great British Bake Off podcast now. (laughs) Wouldn't even be mad about it. So we're listening to this British lady. And she keeps telling us, like, turn right. Turn right. That you have to do it in her voice. Oh, sorry. And she keeps telling us, turn right. Turn right. Turn right and you will have arrived. And but I turned right and there was no road there. It was like barely a footpath. It was literally like a creaky old gate covered in cobwebs with a sign on it that probably said, do not enter. And it, it was kind of like that part in Beauty and the Beast where Belle's dad is just like wandering into a castle and trespassing. And you're like, Belle's dad, turn around. What are you doing? You're an idiot. And he just keeps going. That was exactly us. Except we were listening to the GPS and it's definitely the GPS's fault. But so I took the footpath anyway and there was like a no parking sign. So in my mind, I said... If there's a no parking sign, that means that they anticipate cars will be in this little courtyard area. So I'm going to keep going. And there are houses on the other side of, it was like at a crest of a hill. There are houses on the other side of it. So obviously there's going to be a road there because we're Americans and houses have to be attached to streets. No, it was a courtyard. We were in the middle of a courtyard inside of the castle. And all that was behind us was like, we had just come down like a 45 degree, like gravel hill. Like, I want to say it was nearly vertical. It felt nearly vertical. I'm pretty sure it was more than a 45 degree grade because it was meant to be walked on, not driven on. And I It was meant to have like a horse-drawn carriage on. Yeah. And I looked at the rear view mirrors as we were driving- And like little specks of dust are hitting the mirrors. There was zero margin of error. And I finally get to an opening only to discover that that road that I thought existed in front of every house was actually like the tiniest footpath probably made for monks. So we're like stuck in this fucking courtyard. There's nowhere to go. And it's all cobblestone with like these pebbles. And we could feel the car sliding on these pebbles. And so I had to do this like fast and the furious maneuver, but it was like slow and the anxious maneuver (laughs) where... I I would like try to do like the Austin Powers 70 point turn, but the cobblestone was winning and I would like slide down. And so I was like, fuck it. I got to like do a big one. And I like whipped around and I remember stepping on the gas on the hill that was like 45 degrees and you like <laughs> gripped my arm and you were just screaming into your hand and I like made it up. Okay. No, we backed up. You did not turn around. We did it forwards. I would never no, take that backwards. You, ba- you did it backwards. I would never do that. I, in my head, when I remember it, I was screaming and crying and it was backwards. Was Jason Statham like chasing us with the rocket launcher <laughs> and Vin Diesel's like- It was Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's like, do it for the family. And then like somebody jumps out of a helicopter. And the rock has like a cast on, but then he like rips the cast off because it's like time for him to get to action. And now I'm just describing Fast and the Furious 5. It's so good. I do love Fast and the Furious. You know what? I didn't appreciate the Fast and the Furious until we like had to watch it on like 18 different buses through Peru. And it we were going fast and the furious and I felt like I loved, I lived it. It was like very 40 and now I'm a fan. The best part of the whole thing was that we, we hit this little like Le Paulette in this parking garage and then I maneuvered this c- castle. Not a fucking scratch on the car. Not a fucking scratch. And honestly, that was the last time we ever ventured, ventured off the beaten path. Yeah, like, the highway was lives. totally fine with us from now on. Yeah, we were like, fuck it, we'll pay the toll. It's fine. So yeah, we got back on the highway. We headed to Bordeaux and Bordeaux was lovely. We drank all of the wine. 
we went on a, a wonderful wine tour. Um, and this was actually hosted by the tourism board, which was really nice of them and really exciting. Because again, like keep in mind, my blog is like seven, eight months old. Our blog, sorry, our blog. <laughs> J'accuse. Our blog, which we were both working on because you were you were doing Instagram. Thank you. Were? Wow. You Yeah, you definitely don't do it anymore. Wow. When's the last time you logged into our Instagram? Is this because I put you on blast for Hamilton in episode one? Yes, I forgot about that, but wow, still upset. Yeah, how'd that tourism board post go? Uh, So, okay, this is going to sound like an excuse. Out of the entire four years that I've been a travel blogger now, the only photos that have ever mysteriously corrupted were the photos from this one tour that I was gifted by the tourism board. So I never wrote about it. And I did put it like in a post eventually. I put it in the post where I talked about our year-long honeymoon and I sent it to them and I apologized, but I sounded like the shittiest, like unprofessional blogger trying to make like an excuse. And I, I honestly still feel bad about it. If you're if Bordeaux tourism board is listening, I feel really bad and I'm sorry. And give me another chance, please. We did eat a lot of truffles though. We did. It was, it was really nice. I loved Bordeaux. We'd left Nice. We were in Bordeaux at this point. Stop. That's, again, low-hanging fruit. They put truffles on everything. Remember that pasta that we got that was like truffle and foie gras? That was my birthday pasta. It was like the one time I tried foie gras and I felt guilty about it, but it was really, really good. How do you feel about foie gras now? You know, I do feel guilty about it um, because... Yeah, it's produced unethically most of the time. There is some foie gras that is produced ethically um, by just like surrounding a geese with like its favorite foods, um, which I understand. Like I don't, you know, that would also make me morbidly obese. Um, But we do a lot of, we eat a lot of shit that could be considered unethical. Like we do eat meat, we do eat dairy and cheese, uh, and there's no ethical way to separate a mother from its child. So you kind of, we kind of have to do some mental gymnastics here where it's like, okay, like we love animals, we're against animal abuse, but also we are meat eaters. And foie gras is one of the things that like, I've only eaten it very few times in my life. I've been very picky about the times that I I've eaten it. It's not something I do regularly. And I do feel bad about it. But on the other hand, it's like I could either be vegan or I can, you know, choose to give myself the occasional pass. And we have really cut down on our meat and dairy consumption since we've returned. We didn't really have a choice while we were traveling in most parts of like South America, for example. But I'm basically TLDR. I feel bad about it. But it was delicious. Yeah, it's one of those things that's easy to be like, oh, that's one food that I would never eat because it's so cruel. But meanwhile, like you said, milk, like the dairy industry is so terrible. Which isn't like making an excuse. Like I also feel guilty about right. eating cheese and eating dairy. And it's just one of those things like I try to, you know, have a net positive impact in the world, but I'm not a perfect person. And there's shit that I do that's bad. Um, this is something though that we do get a lot of comments about because I wrote about like foie gras in our post on our blog about our honeymoon. And I talked about how it was delicious. And people were really upset about it. And it made me do some reflecting about, you know, what I eat and like how I feel about it and also how I write about it to the public. Um, And and I'm not going to get up like on my soapbox here. I think I already did that a little bit, but I have mixed feelings about it in general. And I do try to be mindful. After so much wine and delicious food in Bordeaux, we went to Avignon, which people go to because they're like the famous lavender fields out there. Yeah. And it was it was nice. It was pretty. Um, It was rainy. So there was like no people. That was actually really nice. But the lavender fields, I mean, it was winter. They were all dead. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't take into account when we decided to take a detour to see the lavender fields. We did not. And like, if I'm going to be honest, I would not recommend a south of France winter road trip because everything's fucking dead. 
Like we would pass through these like medieval towns and it would just be closed down. Nothing is open. Everybody in the south of France just leaves in the winter. Like our last, one of our last legs of the trip was from Avignon to Ceylon. And so it was beautiful, but everything was closed. Yeah. And then when we got to Ceylon, it was just cats. Yeah. The town was overrun with cats. There were no people. There was one guy. It was our Airbnb guy. That was the mm-hmm. only human we saw in the entire town. Everybody had like left to go to wherever French people go for the winter. Tunisia. Tunisia and left their cats. It felt like a post-apocalyptic wasteland where all the humans had been like knocked out by a virus, but all the cats had survived or possibly the cats had killed all of the humans. Do you mean a post-apocalypse? I want a groaning noise. Tyler, insert groaning noise. <sighs> but the, the post-apocalyptic. <laughs> How long? How long must I endure? You signed up for your whole life, you idiot. (laughs) The point is that we actually love cats and get along very well with cats. So they let us live. But they were like, it felt like the Aristocats. Like they were running cat gangs out there. They were having a great time. But nothing was nothing else was open. There's no restaurants open. There was like one grocery store. All the lavender fields were closed. We tried to go to like an abbey to like visit some monks because we're big fans now after Belgium. Everything was closed. Big fan of monks. We love monks, but yeah, everything was closed. And like, that was the, that was the thing is like, it was beautiful, but we have to go back to actually experience it. Remember snow black hole? Snow black hole was so weird. So we were driving between Avignon and Ceylon and inexplicably, it was like 60 degrees and sunny. And then all of a sudden it was just snowy, like out of nowhere. It was so weird. It wasn't like 60, but like, yeah, there was snow out of nowhere and it wasn't just like a dusting on the ground. It was like a full-on like Tahoe in February covered in snow. It was like straight up winter wonderland. Like I have the pictures of it. Like it was like knee length snow and it was, there weren't any mountains anywhere. Like we could not figure it out. And then like we kept driving and like, well, actually we got out. We had a snowball fight, but then we kept driving and like five minutes later, there was no more snow. It was the weirdest thing. So we called it snow black hole. And we eventually made it back to Nice and Nice is. And it was a nice drive there. Look, I can do it too. (sighs) Boom. What's it like, babe? What's it like to be married to the funniest woman in the entire world? It was a hilarious joke when I made it. So Nice is next door to Monaco, where the Grand Prix is. It's its own country, fun yeah. fact. We, uh, we visited it. Uh, we drove through it for about 10 minutes. And we got a speeding ticket. In those 10 minutes, we managed to get a speeding ticket. Everybody drives like 120 miles an hour because it's Monaco. Okay, but True. But also it was just, it wasn't that we were driving fast. It was because you like turned right on like a red or something on like, I don't know, a poorly marked intersection. It was the lamest fucking speeding ticket. It was not like we were having a fun time in our BMW. We never did get to try Nishwa food though. We never did. Everything was closed and I'll never know. Um, So I guess we have to go back to France. So from Nice, we flew to Barcelona. 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 It's Barcelona. Don't be a douchebag. Oh my God. Barcelona was lovely. I really enjoyed it. I would very much like to go back. Our trip was cut a little bit short in Barcelona. Yeah, we kind of just, we did a really great like wine and tapas tour from Devour Barcelona. That was awesome. That was one of my favorite tours. And we had such a cool trip planned. We had like a two week long uh, Spanish road trip where we were going to visit your ancestors in Basque country. Yep. And the Aragon region, which is your direct relation. What up? We did not get to do any of that. No, because we got a call that sort of changed our lives. So I got a call from my dad 
telling us that his dad, Grandpa Bob, um, was in the hospital. So, I mean, he's 93 years old. So, like, anything that goes wrong could be – that could be it, right? So, my dad was – he he didn't ask us, but – we were the only people in my family that could take care of my grandfather for an extended period. I mean, what are we doing? We're like gallivanting around Europe. Like everybody else has a job. So of course we canceled our trip, you know, our honeymoon and flew back to California immediately. Yeah. We had a couple more stops planned, but we were like, obviously we got to cut those stops. And luckily we had world nomads in our corner and they were like, absolutely. And they refunded all the other stuff that we had paid for the car, the plane, everything, everything that we had booked that, um, wasn't reimbursable world nomads covered for us. This isn't like any kind of sponsorship. They really took care of us and we never travel without travel insurance ever since then. And we got this like ridiculously early flight out of Barcelona. And it was just that feeling of like, wow, it's like, it's over. And it's, is it like really over? And it, this is how it ends. Like this. Also, we were still drunk from the night before because we were on that top. So floor. I was more like, is this, this is it? There's a, I, I had a bunch of kava and Grandpa Bob's just dying. Is this it? That's your drunk voice. You sound like Gilbert Gottfried. You do. Squawk at the lamp. <laughs> this is because we just watched Aladdin. Yeah. And I will say Will Smith makes a pretty good genie. <laughs> okay. This is weird because we're talking about our grandfather. I'm going to just let you guys know if we seem like we're not sad, it's because everything turns out okay. So we fly to LA and we get to the hospital and we're fully like prepared to see the worst. I have not had many experiences with families dying and I love Grandpa Bob and he loves me. I'm his favorite. Don't at me. Very true. And we get to the hospital where like we think everything's going to be sad. And instead, I think I heard Grandpa Bob like down the block. I could hear him screaming at the top of his lungs at the nurses. Grandpa Bob is the image that you have when you think of old Jewish Brooklynite. Yes, can you do your Grandpa Bob for us, please? No, no, they put in a bypass. <laughs> Grandpa Bob, they didn't put in a bypass. They just put in no, a bypass. I've lived bypass. here for 10 years. You don't know what you're you talking about. You haven't left your house in the last 10 years. They took away your driver's license. Trust me, I know how to drive more than you. This is making me angry just with your impression. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Grandpa Bob is the most frustrating man alive. More so than, God love it, me and my father, we are the second two most annoying people alive. Grandpa Bob is like our, like, we get it all from him. So we like hear him screaming about like they brought the wrong jello or whatever the fuck. Who knows? And it, was, it was the ham sandwiches probably. <laughs> yeah, they come in and he's like, is that Jeremy? Tell Jeremy I need a ham sandwich. And we're like, oh my God, Grandpa Bob, like, of course, you're in the hospital. We're so concerned about you. Let's go get, like, we'll go get you a ham sandwich right now. So we're treating him with, like, these kid gloves, and we're like, I mean, he's in a nursing home. and He's 93 years old. He's in a hospital. He's dying. Like, yes, we're being very, very considerate. Guys, remember, everything turns out okay. We're not just the biggest assholes. So he's in the hospital, but, like, he's clearly not on his last legs, right? Like, he's still got his strength and, and fortitude. And one of the things that he really cares about is that he wants to die in his home. Yeah, but I don't think... I was like, Grandpa Bob, you're not dying yet. And he was like, maybe. Who's to say? And this hospital is just, like, terrible. They're just... It's just one of those places where they're just expecting you to die at any minute. So, like, why give you... They just want to get you out of there. Yeah. 
It's miserable place. So we're trying to get him somewhere that he can have good quality care where there are people waiting on him hand and foot, which is at this point what he needs. He had up until this point been living on his own in his house, which is actually amazing considering he was 93 years old. Um, And so he had to make this kind of transition between being independent and having full-time care. So we were the people that were in charge of doing that. So we spent weeks like working on paperwork, visiting hospitals, researching nursing homes, looking for caregivers. We were trying to like navigate this complex world of insurance and long-term care and like legal protections. Like we didn't have a fucking power of attorney and that was the biggest headache for us for like three weeks. Y'all get a power of attorney, please. Go now, file a power of attorney, save your grandchildren. And like, honestly, we had just spent like months and months traveling through these foreign places. I think this was the time that I felt most out of my element was like trying to navigate the fucking insurance system and the hospital system for Grandpa Bob. Luckily, the bright side of this is that we were staying in this super charming Airbnb in Hermosa Beach. And we were in that two weeks, we were like jogging in the morning and waking up at 5 a.m. because we, we were jog. still on We Europe walked. Time. I was jogging. Okay. I played Pokemon and went on walks I, and there were dolphins and it was lovely. I jogged. All right. You surfed once. I did go surfing and it was right after a rainstorm and there was this guy like on a bike just looking like Matthew McConaughey. It might have been Matthew McConaughey. And he looks at the, at the waves and he looks at me and he's like, it's crunchy out there, brother. Oh! And then just like biked away. That was definitely Matthew McConaughey. You, ab- I wonder if he has a house in Hermosa Beach. We should look that up. I also want our listeners to know that as Jeremy was doing that, he did the shaka. Oh, this thing? He's doing it right now. I wish there was video evidence. So we're making the most of it, um, but it was a lot of work. Like we ha- every single day we had to bring Grandpa Bob his ham sandwich or we would never hear the end of it. I want it on white bread. With Dijon mustard on one side. Jesus Christ, I'm having like PTSD. Lettuce and nothing else. And if I didn't get it right, he would just be like, he would just like throw his hands up and be like, it's fine. It might be my last meal. Oh my God. He's been doing that for years. So we spent like a month looking for a long-term care facility. We finally found one. It was small, really good care. There was only six people living there. We moved him in. We got him a big screen TV because his eyes are going. And we left him smiling. He gave us a kiss on the cheek and he screamed at the TV for a while because he was watching football and he was really mad about it. Um, and he thanked us for all of our help. And we went on our way and we were like, I guess that was the end of that chapter. I'm glad Grandpa Bob is doing well and all's well that ends well. And we said our goodbyes just in case. And we went off to Florida to visit your mom. So then we went to Disney World and we hung out with my family. My mom lives in Florida. So we were staying at her house. And this had always been our plan. We were going to like transition our way back into the States by going to Disney World, the most American place that you can possibly go. Um, And it was great. We had a good time. And we were like, I'm so glad that Grandpa Bob is doing so well. And that's all behind us. Until we got another call from Grandpa Bob. This one sounded a lot more serious. This one was real. I believe exactly what he said was, Honey, you gotta let me go. I'm 93. I want to die at home. It was like the saddest thing I'd ever heard. He was like definitely dying for real this time. We and were he like, wanted to go home. We were like crying in the hotel room. Meanwhile, in the back, we hear like, it's a small world after all. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Again, guys, this turns out fine. We're not just the most callous people. So we hop on the next flight back to California. (laughs) And I do want to like give a shout out to my family for paying for these like last minute trips back and forth from California because without them, we would not have been able to do this. So we're back to California again, and now we're he's on hospice, and so we drive to his house. So we're expecting like 
dim lights, subdued voices, sadness, gloom. And I'm like cracking the door open and I see the foot of a hospital bed and I immediately start crying because I don't handle death very well. And because you love Grandpa Bob. I love Grandpa Bob. And I open the door and the first thing we hear is, Jeremy, is that Jeremy? Tell him I need cold beer. I want Bud Light. It's got to be cold. I need Chips Ahoy, the soft Chips Ahoy, and get me a ham sandwich. Only Jeremy knows my ham sandwich. He wanted fucking Jack in the Box, and he wanted the fries to be... Extra crispy. Extra crispy. And then there... Oh, my God. It was like he had a fucking grocery list from the day that we had left two weeks ago until now. And we were like... Grandpa Bob, what the fuck? He, you were he was on hospice. And every time we were like, how about you like have like a salad or something that's like a not chips ahoy, he'd be like, it's my last meal. He would like look at us with these like giant sad grandfather eyes and just be like, I'm dying, you see. I can't do it, Grandpa. Can you do it, please? I'm dying. That perfect. That sounds exactly like him. But this motherfucker was not dying. Like, okay, listen. He was like on the surface dying. He was definitely supposed to be dying. We checked with all of his doctors. We checked with all of his nurses. We checked with my cousin who's a doctor because, you know, we're Jewish. Um, And all of them were like, they can get a burst of energy before they pass. And that is very normal. But also maybe he's not dying. And like I have all the respect in the world for my grandfather. He's a World War II vet. He worked for NASA. He worked on the Apollo missions. He's intelligent. He is a badass. He is amazing. But he's also my flesh and blood. And he shaped who I am. I get like all of my most irritating and worst tendencies from him. And my family could write a series of books on how to craft the perfect guilt trip. And this was that. This was the best guilt trip in the entire universe. It was like a masterclass in guilt trips. So it is with the most love and affection that I put his ass on blast. He cried wolf on his own death so that he could hang out at home, eat junk food, and get waited on hand and foot. He threw himself a death party. The best part of this is like three or four days like into us being there by his side every day, he and I are sitting on his couch and he is drinking Di Sirono on ice at like 10 a.m. And he... And I think he was on like pain medication, even though he definitely did not have any pain. Yeah, so this dude's just like lit. And he looks at me and he and I say, I say, yeah, but you know that you're probably not dying, right? And he says, I'm 93 years old. Who's to say I'm not gonna die? All of your fucking doctors, Grandpa Bob. All your doctors say you're not dying. And then he started singing K Sarah Sarah. And then he told me that he was Jesus. What he actually said was that he was the center of the world. And he we got to talking about like the finances of hospice. And he said, Jeremy, don't worry, because I'll be dead soon and you don't have to worry about any of the money. And I was like, What are you talking about? When you die, like there's still bills to pay. And he's like, Who's to say that when I die, the universe just stops existing? This motherfucker thought he was literally the center of the entire universe. And I was like, do you really think when you die, all matter would just stop? And he was like, who's to say I'm wrong? And then he started singing Kesarasara. Whatever will be, will be. And that was when I took the pain meds off of his care plan because he was not in pain and he was clearly just having a good time. And... We decided that he was maybe not dying. And then we discovered one of my favorite cons of all time. It wasn't because he was dying that he wanted to go into hospice. It was because his caretakers 
wouldn't let him order pizza and beer during the fucking Super Bowl. And then, and then, it turns out he had gotten irritated with his menu at this new care place that we spent three weeks finding. We had told them... You need to bring him a ham sandwich every day. He's weirdly obsessed with ham sandwiches. We don't know why. It's a thing. They had made sure that he had a ham sandwich every day. Grandpa Bob got sick of the fucking ham sandwiches. I don't want the ham sandwich anymore. What I want is a croissant witch from Jack (laughs) in the Box. They have these croissant witch breakfast sandwiches. Jeremy, is it with the ham or is it with the sausage? Where's Jeremy? (laughs) So Grandpa Bob spent six months on hospice having the time of his life. It turns out that you can get kicked off of hospice, which is what happened. And he is now happily 95. We just went to celebrate his 95th birthday with him. uh, And he is doing better than ever. I think he's actually getting healthier by the day. I'm convinced that all of the junk food and alcohol is preserving his old bones. I think he's probably immortal at this point and will outlive us all. We'll see him in a few weeks and I'm really excited. Or... He actually is the center of the universe. Shit, you're right. Maybe he, maybe that's what we're missing. Is that actually everything he said was true? I was in the 93rd Air Corps. Oh, I love Grandpa Bob. He's the best, you guys. Like, we make fun of him with so much love, and he really, he's going to have, a, like, a blast listening to this. I swear I'm not just the worst granddaughter ever. So once Grandpa Bob was all set, we were like, you know what? We're still on our honeymoon. Yeah. So we like left him to hang out and get waited on and he's having a great time. And we were like, okay, shit, what do we do now? So what did we do? So at this point, we had spent like three months just like hanging around California doing various Grandpa Bob things. So then we went to Kentucky and visited Louisville. Yeah, because I can always go home. I always have a place to stay in my hometown and Louisville is awesome. So we spent like two or three weeks just kind of hanging out at my dad's house and seeing friends. And then we decided to fly back to California for my birthday. We went to Tahoe. Yeah, we found some cheap flights. We spent some time in California, which was honestly the most expensive two weeks of the entire fucking trip. Y'all, the Bay Area is hella expensive so if you don't expensive. live here. Why do people come visit? Stop visiting. I mean, if you live here too. Let's, I mean, let's be real. It, but if you visit, we have a self guided walking tour of San Francisco. Practicalmodels.com. Mm, oh. Wow. Uh, and then it took us, it took us honestly a few more months to figure out what the fuck we were doing next. Like our plans were totally disrupted and we were scrambling. We couldn't afford last minute plane tickets. We were bouncing around all over the place on like Southwest. Um, and we just like went from couch to couch. Basically any of our friends who had a couch, we showed up and stayed there for a while. We were also making some pretty big decisions about where we were going to end up. So Jeremy, this whole time, had actually been applying for grad schools, and he was admitted to NYU for a master's of education program, which I'm very proud of you. Go me. Did I go to NYU? No. But actually, it ended up being a really good decision, and I'm glad you didn't. Um, So we were, like, trying to figure out what the fuck we were going to do. I was, like, looking in horror at our finances and realizing how much money we were spending. So I started working really hard on the blog trying to make some income, which I started getting a little bit. I started doing some sponsored posts. I landed our very first paid sponsored trip, which was to Paso Robles, which was awesome. El Paso de Robles. And I started finally seeing my hard work actually paying off. It took us five months of couch surfing to leave the country again. We just bopped around like couch surfing for five months. Who does that? What a waste. We found a house sitting job in Puebla, Mexico, which we had never really heard of. But it turns out Puebla is like the home of mole. Yeah, it's actually a really cool little town. 
but we didn't experience it at all because we had a giant house to stay in and two adorable dogs to take care of. And what else would you do? Aw, we miss Mickey and Shanti. They were so sweet. We did a lot of cooking. We went to a mercado a lot. Every day. Every single day. And Jeremy, he is Mexican and his family cooks some bomb ass Mexican dishes and you like perfected them on our trip. Yeah. So my grandpa has this salsa, which is like fabled. Nobody can recreate this fucking recipe. My brother has tried his entire life and I finally did it, but I was only able to do one batch. Yeah. You've never been able to do it ever again. I've done the, I did the exact same moves and only worked once. So we spent a month just like house sitting in Puebla, which was great. I actually love house sitting. It's one of the best ways to cheaply stay somewhere because it doesn't cost anything and you get to hang out with pets, which is awesome. And then we reached a year of being married and we were like, let's go to Mexico City. Yeah, we celebrated our anniversary in Mexico City. Um, We had some good food. We ate ants. Honestly, we didn't really do that much. We were only there for like two days and one of them was a Sunday and everything was closed. We have to go back. No, one of them was a Monday and what we planned that day was to go to Frida Kahlo's house. Yeah, I'm still bummed about that. But I mean, it's a great city from what we've seen of it. We just haven't seen very much. We went from there to like Cancun and Tulum, Isla Mujeres and Tulum. Isla Mujeres is super cute. It's like right outside of Cancun. It's a little island off the coast of Cancun. It's not as like touristy. Um, It's also not very backpackery. Like we had been up until this point, like other than the U.S., in Europe, I guess, but we've been pretty backpackery and Isla Mujeres was a step above. It was like us and like a lot of like American families. It was great though. I really enjoyed it. We have a blog post about it if you are interested. From Isla Mujeres, we went south a little bit and we went to Tulum and Tulum was mm. not our favorite. We kind of, we like bought into the Instagram hype about Tulum, which is kind of bullshit. Tulum is beautiful, but it's mostly beautiful if you stay on the beach in an all-inclusive resort, which we did not because we're backpackers. One of the first signs of trouble in Tulum was we went to this cheap hostel that had really good reviews, but it was like as party hostel as you get without advertising itself as a party hostel. It was the loudest hostel I've ever not been able to sleep in in my entire life. And I was like that obnoxious, like 27-year-old who went and like complained. And I was like, can you just turn the music down? I'm trying to sleep. Thanks. Well, it says silent hours, 11 p.m. But then it was 4 a.m. and they were playing music and we complained and they were like, um, people are really vibing this music. And there's just one fucking dude at a bar. Oh, my God. And we had been sleeping in loud ass hostels for a fucking year. It was awful. But honestly, it wasn't just the loud assness. It was like the half naked, like passed out guy in front at seven in the morning. That was what really was the nail in the coffin for me on that place. Yeah, we went to coffee first thing in the morning and some fucking Chad is just sitting there with pants. It was bottoms down half naked, y'all. Yeah, it wasn't topless. He was bottomless. Nobody wants to see that. Just passed out in the street like under a car. It was... It was rough. Yeah. So we got the fuck out of that hostel and we just booked the cheapest hotel that we could find, which ended up being... In the middle of nowhere, kind of. Yeah, so we were like, all right, well, we're saving on the on the hotel, so maybe we can get this cheap rental car. And when we get there, of fucking course, they quote-unquote upgrade us to a Mercedes. And, like, we had been through this again. We, we had PTSD from the fucking BMW. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> We were not going to make this mistake again, but they they just w- they were like, we don't have anything else. That's the only thing we have. You have to have this Mercedes or nothing. Because looking back on it, the only people that go there are like any like people with like a fucking check mark next to their Instagram. So like, of course they want a Mercedes. Yeah. So we ended up with this car that made us look like rich Americans. We got pulled over like every twenty minutes from policemen who basically wanted bribes, and it was shitty and corrupt. 
Yeah, this police officer literally wouldn't let us leave because he kept saying, like, you're going to have to pay this fine, you're going to have to pay this fine. And he's like, you can pay me the fine. And then he realized, like, oh, these people smell. (laughs) They're in, like, really grungy clothes. I don't think they have the cash. Yeah. And, like, even the people who rented us the car tried to scam us. They kept telling us that we needed to buy insurance. And I was like, no, my credit card, like, has insurance. We have travel insurance. We're covered. And they were like, no, you have to buy it from us. And if you don't, we'll report you to the government. And they were like low-key threatening us and like we just ended up paying it because it was fucking scary like it was one of those things like and honestly again like we're seasoned travelers especially at this point we had never experienced this much like corruption and scamming of travelers and I think it's just because Tulum had gotten so big so fast like it blew up on Instagram and all of a sudden all these wealthy people were getting very rich and and leaving the locals in the dust our hotel was in front of like a slum and it made it it just made us feel like such assholes rolling in like a Mercedes every day when there are people literally like bathing outside and we asked the hotel owner we were like do you employ the people who live in your front yard and he was an expat and he kind of just like danced around it. And he was like, oh, it's fine. Like it was just a blatant like distance between us, the wealthy visitors and like the locals who clearly were being negatively impacted by the tourism there. Yeah. They were getting like pushed into like one single lot where they had to basically burn their trash for food, for heat. And they had like these signs around the lots where people were living that had just like pictures of white people and English being like, imagine your dream home here. And it was like, it was just icky. It was gross. It was like celebrating gentrification. And honestly, this was like the first time I think that we realized how bad over tourism can be and how negatively tourism can impact a community. And it was a slap in the face. This was also the first time that we came face to face with unethical animal tourism. Yeah, they advertised this like dolphin park. And then when you get there, we didn't actually go, but somebody had told us it's straight up like it's like a wading pool filled with dolphins, like 20 dolphins in this tiny pool. And then and then people just jump in there and they can like pet the dolphins and stuff. And they seem scared. They also had like monkey attractions where you just monkeys climb all over you. They had toucans in cages locked in cenotes. They had sea turtles swimming in cenotes, which had like algae growing on their back because they were in freshwater. It was just like blatant. And then we saw a park ranger playing with a coati at the Tulum ruins and like encouraging visitors to play with it too. Like a wild animal, literally encouraging people to play with it. It was horrible. Meanwhile, right behind him, there's a poster that says, do not touch the coates. And there was a kid who was like, I thought we weren't supposed to do that. I think I turned around and I was like, yes, you're correct. Good job, little girl. Never touch an animal. So this was like really opened our eyes to how bad it can get when tourism is unchecked. Um, And that's honestly fueled a lot of the decisions that we've made as both travelers and people that are, you know, influencing and impacting tourism. And we, we have learned to really do our research now about the places that we go and the tours that we book. One of the things that I that still st- stands out to me in Tulum was that there was a restaurant we were recommended to go to, but it was owned by Americans. And when you go to Mexico, it's the people always say like pay in pesos, not USD. Even if they take USD, find pesos. And so it's so much cheaper when you pay in the local currency anywhere that you are. Anywhere really. you go, yeah. And we get the check, and they give us the the peso total, and they give us the USD total, and it says like ninety five dollars USD, and we we're like, holy shit, are you it serious? It was like San Francisco ass prices, y'all. Yeah, and the food wasn't that good, and so I was like, I'm definitely gonna pay the peso price, and I totaled the peso price, and it it translated to like sixty USD. They were doing like a fifty percent upcharge, and I'm going all along the beach in Tulum trying to find every ATM I can, and every single one 
only had USD. It was like the locals had been written out of the equation. It was only a destination for expats, for tourists, for privileged people. It felt really disgusting. Like we felt horrible just even being there. Tulum is probably one of the only places that I would only go back to if things really, really changed. Like I have no desire to revisit it. And that's pretty rare. Most of the places that we've been to, we have some love for. And we typically don't judge people's travel or like try to like knock your hustle or whatever. But like Tulum is one of the places that I will actively be like, you probably shouldn't go there until they fix things. So after Tulum, um, we made it to Costa Rica. It was our last country on our year-long honeymoon. And it was great. We went to La Fortuna. We went to Manuel Antonio. We saw so many critters and they were being handled ecologically and ethically. And it felt really good. Because Costa Rica, it's like part of their like government that you have to treat animals and and nature correctly. And we saw a bunch of sloths and I fell in love with sloths. We started Sloth Watch 2017. Sloth Watch 2017. Oh, yeah. We counted as many sloths as we could and we took pictures of all of their little sloth butts and they're the best and we love them. At one point we were staying in this little like cottage and since it's Costa Rica and it's like crazy humid, everything is just mesh walls. And we woke up sunrise over Manuel Antonio Park and we look across the highway and there's this tiny little sloth butt hanging out of the top of the tree and it's like clung to like a telephone wire. Well, it's like three little claws. It was the cutest. I watched that sloth all day. He didn't move very much, but I just sat there staring at him with my binoculars like a creep and it was the best day. It's just a little sloth butt saying hello. Um, we went whitewater rafting and I hated it. Yeah, you went whitewater rafting again. You tried and it was actually like a class two or three. I'm proud of you. It gave me an ear infection. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. You did fall in the water and you got an ear infection. I did. I got a really bad ear infection. And then we had to extend our trip home because I couldn't fly because I had an ear infection. And then I had to go to a hospital and they had to give me a shot in the butt. And I cried a lot. You should probably not go whitewater rafting. No, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I got a fucking stomach bug in the cenote in Tulum. That was like the last thing on our way out of Tulum. They were just like, here's the stomach bug. So you spent your last week getting a stomach bug from a cenote violently ill getting an ear infection because you were whitewater rafting and then we said you know what i think this is a sign i think the year is over let's go home after we like had to add in you know two extra nights at a hotel and change our flights all of which were covered by world nomads because they're the most although i did in those two days get my new nickname Don Rojo. Oh, you're right. Don this, Rojo. I always forget. This cab driver had all of his doors open waiting for people. And I like hopped in the back of the cab. And I guess he wanted me to close like the passenger side door. Uh, but he didn't say anything. And so I closed my door. And he like went across and like waved his hands like, Oh, pardon, Don Rojo, Don Rojo. <laughs> like I was a princess. Because I am. But that's, that would be Princesa Rojo. That would be like Roja. Listen, that's the best nickname. You should just go with that. We should change this to the Don Rojo podcast. The Don Rojo hour. Ora. So our our honeymoon was great. It was kind of a disaster, but we had a great time. We got sick a whole bunch. We lost a whole bunch of shit, spent a whole bunch of money, made a bunch of animal friends. Not enough animal friends, if you ask me. Who was your favorite animal friend? Oh, man. We didn't talk about him in this series, but one of my favorites, his name's Baloo, and he was on the Kilatoa Loop, and he's a big St. Bernard that lived in the hostel. He's one of my favorites. He also has a best friend named Tito, who is an alpaca, and they play together, and it's the cutest thing. And I would go to the hostel's name is Yuyuyama in the Kilatoa Loop in Ecuador. I would go there just to watch Baloo and Tito frolic because they're the fucking cutest. There's also Lupe the seal from the Galapagos. She was so cute. She just hangs out at the fish market and people toss her fish um, or she nudges them until they toss her fish. She's real sassy. She's she's a treat. 
And then there was Alfred the, the Alfredo the Pelican in the Galapagos. Alfredo the Pelican. He just like chewed sticks at us and for a while us for like hours. It was very strange. Yeah, he was a giant pelican. I also miss Mickey and Shanti, who we were house sitting. I miss all of the animals. I miss the sloth butt. Sloth butt. Yeah. yeah, we made a lot of really good animal friends on our trip. What was your favorite time that you got sick or injured? Um, I surfed directly into a rock in Huanchaco, uh, Peru. You did. I hit my head on every single bunk bed across three continents. You have a giant head and you're forever hitting it on stuff. It's the cutest thing. It's so big. Mine was probably, I don't know. I had altitude sickness in Juarez. That was really bad. And then there was the fucking stomach bug in the cenote in Tulum. And then the ear infection. I mean, I, I was in so much pain with that ear infection. Do you remember? I was just crying, like walking around and crying and holding my head for like three days. And I mean, then I got a shot in the butt and it was awful. That was the worst night in the hospital because like only one guy spoke English and he was just the most needed doctor on earth. And he was like, you're just going to get a shot in the butt and you're going to deal with it. It was a really painful shot in the butt. And then immediately after you get it, you have to like get up and walk around. So I was just walking around like a room full of people and like crying and holding my butt. <laughs> it was very undignified. So we started this series by saying that this year-long honeymoon we were hoping would change us. We would discover ourselves. We would become these perfect travelers. And then one year later, you have an ear infection in Costa Rica. You're dying on a plane to the States because your ear is still throbbing. Did it change us? Yes and no. Like, I didn't definitely didn't become the Instagrammable goddess that I was hoping I would discover deep inside. Um, we definitely gained 40 to 50 pounds. We only got less attractive. I think we aged a lot on that trip. But it did change my life because now I like blog for a living. I never would have been able to do that if I hadn't had a whole year to work on a blog. Yeah. And I thought of all the different possibilities of what my life could be and what I could do full time. And it just it just reinforced the idea that like I'm supposed to teach. And so I went back to teaching. You were like lesson planning, like deep in the jungle while there's like a sloth hanging around outside. You were like, oh man, I wonder how I can turn this into a beneficial like artifact for my children. Yeah. There's like a test you have to take for, to be a teacher. And I got the results while we were in a hotel in San Jose, Costa Rica. And that said, I, I'm pass and I can like teach again. And I was like, cool. Lesson plan starts. Yeah. So you got really excited about going back to teaching. And like, I think there was a lot of personal changes. Like for me, when I got back, I had to go back to work for a few months because um, we'd spent all our money. And if you want to know how much you spent, you can go on the blog because I give all the details. Um, and like, I, I just wasn't good at being like a corporate work person anymore. Like I used to be really good at like wearing that mask and doing like the water cooler small talk. And I got to this corporate job when we got back to the, the States and I was just like, I'm really just like thinking about what I want my life to be like. And they were like, I just asked you about your weekend. Calm the fuck down. Like I don't have the ability to do small talk anymore. I also stopped wearing like makeup and like regular bras and I no longer carry a purse. I'm like really granola now. We also learned a lot about ourselves as travelers and like what it means to travel and like our place in the world and how we want to leave the world better than than it was when we got here. I decided about six months after we got back to try to be a full-time travel blogger, which knock on wood is still going really well. Um, and I learned so much on this trip about like how the way that we travel impacts the world and the communities that we visit and 
I've done a lot of thinking about what my role is in that impact and how I can directly affect other people's travels. I try every single post that I write to have that positive impact and that message sort of woven in with all the lessons that I learned. And I make a lot of mistakes. Obviously, we made nothing but mistakes on this trip. But when I write my blogs, I try to think about like, how how is the person reading this going to take these lessons and apply it and then multiply that over and over again? And we learned so much about like, ethical animal tourism and over tourism and that kind of thing. And that has all definitely fueled my learning. Yeah. We also learned to appreciate the little things like having a fucking couch is amazing. Oh my God. I miss our couch so much. Or ice or clean running water. I love ice. Ice is such a luxury that we take for granted in the States. Like, and people just hand you ice water when you sit in a restaurant for free. That's like a huge deal. We also became zero waste when we got back to the States. Well, we're trying. We're, I mean, zero waste is a process, right? Like nobody's actually zero waste, but you progressively work towards eliminating your waste as much as you can. And before that, uh, before our trip, I don't think I would have been able to just get rid of all the shit that we'd been throwing away. And we haven't had a microwave since we got back. And like we haven't had to buy, you know, paper towels or Ziploc bags or anything like that. Like we've just impacted the way that we use things because we made do living out of a backpack for a year. So all things considered, would you do it again? Hmm. Not for a while. Maybe when we retire. If you can stick around with me for that long. Oh my God. Spoilers. Wait, what? (laughs) Tune in next time when we're 70 years old and going through a divorce. Wait, what? (laughs) 